The views and comments expressed on the Space Show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The Space Show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the Space Show are primarily for educational purposes. everybody welcome to the uh, space show morning show on friday it's morning still here on the west coast i'm your host for the day uh david livingston and we thank you for tuning in a couple of quick notes our toll-free number for those of you who would like to call us is 1-866-687-7223 and you can use email of course Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E, at thespaceshow.com. And this will be a variable length show, and if you would like to uh, give us a call, just make sure you do it while we're still broadcasting and uh, don't come in on the 11th hour or past the 11th hour uh, because we may not still be on the air. So we do want to hear from you, 1-866-687-687. 7223 or email is fine, com. Don't forget that if you would like a copy of our email newsletter, it goes out about 6 a.m. Monday morning, West Coast time. Make sure I have your email address, so please send it to me. Everything we do is archived, and you can listen right off of our website for the live show or the archive show or on any of our podcast servers. And if you need some guidance or further information, please email me at drspace at thespaceshow.com. Don't forget we have our store and uh, check it out. You may find some logo wear items of interest. Just click on Pepper the Siberian Husky listening to the Space Show and that will take you to our store. Please also remember we're a nonprofit 501c3 uh, program where listener supported, meaning those of you who listen and participate in our programs help us out and support us with your contributions. As a nonprofit, if you're paying federal U.S. taxes, you do get a tax deduction for your gift, but do check with your own tax advisor on that. We also have sponsors, and we have uh, in the same category billboard advertisers, and you can do that. Uh, it's on a calendar year basis, and the cost is $500 per year. You get the banner ad running across the home page, which you can change whenever you want. And you also get short PR messages, which I read on full-length programs. But on the shorter or variable-length programs, I shout out, and we'll do so now to our sponsors, Northrop Grumman, AIAA, Helix Space in Luxembourg, the National Space Society, Celestis, who we will talk about in a minute, Astrox Corporation, 
Dr. Ben Arroyo with his two great books on lunar development, the Space Foundation, and then uh, John Jossie with his terrific Space Settlement blog called The Space Settlement Progress. So if you'd like more information on that, email me, drspace at thespaceshow.com. Our friend and previous guest many, many times, Jim Lewis from the Cape area, is back with us. He has communications concepts. He is a film producer, a great film as well as other producer. You can read about him in his films and his accomplishment. I have an updated bio for him on the website, but I'd rather talk with him. But he uh, covers and does films from rocket launches to Hollywood Storyteller. He tells great stories. Do read his bio, and you may have seen many of his films. We've talked about them for years on the Space Show. Jim, welcome back to the program. How are you? Thank you, David. It's uh, good to be with you, and I is listening to your introduction there. You probably have one of the longest-running space shows going. Well, we're in our 23rd year, and uh, your program, Jim, hold on just a minute. I need my, where the hell did I put this? Here we go. So, Jim Lewis, you are number 4,157. Isn't that amazing? You know, you, you need to be congratulated for that. That. There's a lot of work that goes into that, and uh, I think you've, uh, you know, you're way ahead of a lot of the other space bloggers out there. So congratulations. Well, and, yeah, you, it's great I, to be here. I either get congratulated or get committed, one of the two. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, That's um, funny. <laughs> um, uh, well, when I started doing this, there wasn't much of a, of a space-themed radio, but now – uh, with uh, everybody being their own uh, cinematographer with an iPhone or other tech that they've come across and podcasting and other things, there are webinars and podcasts galore. There, there's probably more programming on space than one has the time to spend listening to it. And uh, people send me really interesting webinars and links to do so. And I'm still working, and, you know, who has time for it all? But, you know, there's a plethora of really great space material that did not exist 23 years ago. So That's correct. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's a different word. So you saw the Vulcan launch, and how would you compare it to, say, SpaceX launches that you've seen or even big shuttle launches that you used to see? Well, first of all, you know, the Vulcan launch, that's the first of the Vulcan series of launches. And the first launch of any new rocket is is just, it's just got a certain amount of intrigue to it. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be at the uh, at the first uh, sea launch launch. I was at many iterations of the various Atlas launches, uh, Falcon 9 Heavy from here. And, and so I'm just sure everyone that worked on that program, um, in, you know, you took it all in, and it'll be a memory they'll have for the rest of their lives. You know, the second thing is the success of the Vulcan launch is kind of a success for two things. I mean, it has the Blue Origin uh, rocket engines on the Vulcan, and so that's the first time that those engines have flown. So um, a big 
a big thing for Blue Origin or Amazon and however you want to look at it, and uh, a big a big thing for uh, United Launch Alliance who launched the rocket, and and they're preparing to do another launch uh, soon. Um, I would, as far as you know, size of launch, it definitely with those solid rocket motors on the side. Uh, um, Probably a little bit bigger, maybe than a Falcon 9 in some ways. Um, the uh, I can't wait though to see a Vulcan go up that doesn't have the solids on it because the solids, lightwise, overshadowed the uh, the liquid engines on the rocket. You know, liquid engines on that particular rocket because of what they're burning uh, burn blue. But uh, you kind of saw a, a in the in the night you kind of saw just the golden color of the solid rocket engines but uh, a really a really nice launch shame it was you know at some terrible time of the morning uh, <laughs> but uh, so early either you had to stay up late or get up early but um, but a nice launch was the noise any different that could you tell the difference between noise or shockwave from sound or anything else from some of the other bigger rockets that you saw or even the shuttle well, if you compare it to the, the bigger rockets like the big Titan IVs and um, and even the Falcon 9 Heavy, it, it, it's not it wasn't that big, but or it didn't seem that big as far as sound, but it definitely uh, it definitely had a rumble. Um, so um, there's going to be bigger versions of it, of course. So um, I guess we'll see how it all unfolds. Were you expecting the first launch to be successful? That's an interesting question. Um, would the first launch be successful? Um, well, I was hoping it would be. Uh, first of all, ULA, uh, which is an outgrowth of uh, Lockheed and Boeing, uh, Lockheed especially with the uh, various variants they did of the Atlas rocket, uh, has had a huge string of successes with first launches, uh, Atlas 2AS, Atlas 3, Atlas 5, Various variants of the Atlas V. They've they've done very well with those. So I kind of was expecting, I guess, to be successful, um, just because of the experience that launch team has. Did you watch the SLS launch as well? Uh, I did. Um, we uh, we were fortunate to have a, a small contract with uh, one of the uh, companies, uh, Lockheed Martin, for that launch. And uh, so yes, um, that that launch. You know, that went through a lot, remember, a lot of delays. Uh, uh-huh. So we were out there several times. But, yes, uh, I was there for the SLS launch. Um, so what was special about uh, the Vulcan launch? I, I know um, that's why you're here on the show. So right. well, uh, introduce uh, us to the specialty uh, aspect from your perspective. Well, first, I mean, there's a lot of uh, things that make that launch special because, first of all, it, it's a first variant, and it had paying customers on it. Um, the uh, uh, the the group that has the lander for the for the moon uh, is sort of an upstart company, uh, and uh, unfortunately their lander uh, didn't quite make it to the moon. But um, so they were on it, and then Celestis uh, had two different payloads on it: one on the lander that was going to the moon, and one that was continuing with the upper stage out into uh, uh, deep space, and. Um, the, the reason I took particular interest in this was um, a person that I'm working on a documentary about, um, uh, Martin Caden. Uh, his ashes were on board, the one that was going into deep space, along with a lot of the people uh, associated with Star Trek were on that launch. And, and I think from talking to you previous, I guess you had some people on that launch. Um, 
I was hoping to go to the and land on the moon, but that'll come at another time now. So um, I wasn't on the deep space mission launch. Right. That that well, you- actually that launch did not exist in the Celestis inventory when I signed up for going to the moon. Uh, when I signed up for going to the moon, uh, the moon was uh, about the extent of the uh, special launches. I know they had suborbital and they had Earth orbital, and then they, they had going to the moon, but I, I don't think the deep space one was on their books yet. Uh, but I wouldn't have accepted it. I wanted uh, to put the, the remains of the family on the moon. Yeah, well... You know, one thing that Celestis has been very good about over the years is that they do keep enough of the remains or the ashes uh, available. So if something fails with a launch or fails to go where they say it's going to, they they refly everybody uh, for uh, no charge. And um, it, um, you know, they've been at this business a long time. It's an interesting uh, business, um, space memorial, so to speak, and. Uh, you know, I, I think you know they they really have they really look for opportunities to get these launches in for people, and I think it's really amazing. Um, I do know that um, there's a lot of criticism coming out now from different parties about using the moon for commercial processes and and space burials and things like that. Uh, I hope that this business model continues, but. Uh, I'm seeing objections beyond just those that were expressed by the Navajo Nation. Uh, so I, I hate to see this stuff happening, but I guess it's inevitable in today's time. So. Well, I, well, I know you've had people on your show, and I can't think of the lady's name who's very big in space law, but I think there's going to be a lot of upcoming challenges about the moon. Um, you know, when we went to the moon uh, with humans, uh, with the Apollo program, um I, I don't think we had any plans of um, what we were going to do with the moon or trying to have some control of the moon. But I do think there may be people right now launching uh, payloads uh, to the moon that, uh, and, and eventually people that may want to say the moon is their, their territory or their property, and so that will greatly affect things. And um, I... Uh, I, I I don't know if about enough about the law and how those things take place, but I'm sure it's going to be a very active uh, set of discussions. So, who is Martin Kanan? You Kanan, you mentioned him. Tell us about him. Well, first of all, uh, he, he's a, a writer, an author. Um, he was a uh, he, he flew World War II airplanes, uh, both American and, and German. He's stunt pilot for the movies. He wrote. He wrote uh, over 50 books, over 2,000 articles about space and aerospace. Uh, a lot of his, most of his books were fiction, but he also wrote a lot of uh, nonfiction books. Um, and uh, his big claim to fame, of course, is he he wrote uh, the book called Cyborg, which uh, became the hit TV show The Six Million Dollar Man. And so uh, uh, he um, he definitely had a, a a sense for the future. Uh, I would say uh, at his time of uh, his big writings, most of his stuff came in the late 60s and up through the 80s. But, 
you know, he had he definitely understood technology and aerospace, and you know, you could take him as an expert, but also as an amazing writer. And um, and when you write that many books, uh, successful books, um, it's it's really quite something. Did he live down in Florida near you, or where was he out of? Yes, he uh, he lived in Cocoa Beach, Florida. When when I don't know where he came from originally, but. Uh, uh, I've, I've been here in this, on the Space Coast uh, since I was uh, about 10 years old, and I first met Martin Caden um, when I was about 15 or 16 years old. And uh, I, I, I'm not really sure uh, why he liked me, <laughs> but uh, he definitely left a mark on, on my life. Uh, he really uh, – he was a person who just – uh, saw the possibilities of things, uh, and it's hard to kind of explain that. But he 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 sees oppor- opportunities with people, and um, and I think he he brings with people he liked. He bring he brought out the best in them. Um, what did he do? Um, what were some of the space movies he did? Would people recognize? Well, you know, just I'm just. When I met him, and I don't know exactly, I mean, we didn't talk about this, but he was just then finishing up writing a book called Maroon. And uh, so that would be 1965, 66, 67, somewhere in there. And he had then almost immediately sold that book uh, to Hollywood, uh, and it became a major motion picture uh, uh, in, in about 69, uh, 68, 69, uh, big, all a lot of the big stars of the day were in that movie. Uh, Gregory Peck, uh, Gene Hackman. Um, it was a it was a big budget film for the years. But you know the big thing with Marooned is I think he really changed our space program a little bit with Maroon because uh, the topic of Maroon is we have some American astronauts and they're marooned in space. They uh, they've lost some systems on their spacecraft and and then it's time sensitive and and they're going to die and and uh, and the Russians come up and uh, dock with them and uh, and helps help save them and uh, well you know that's is that art. Leading the way to life because shortly after that we did the Apollo Soyuz project, which had docking with the Russians, and of course uh, the famous uh, shuttle. One of the first things the the shuttle docked with was the Russians, and uh, and still today most of our docking stuff works on a, a Russian technology, and and I've been told that. When the Russians actually heard of the movie Maroon and showed them sort of a little bit as heroes, um, that it maybe even helped drive that activity to happen and definitely planted the seeds in the mind of uh, NASA and Roscosmos. Um, do you um, did he have a big um, following? Was he like really well known outside of professional circles? Uh, I, mean, I don't you know, know if people were going around giving lectures and speaking and doing things like stars of today are, but was he getting that kind of public notoriety? You know, he, he got notoriety mostly for his uh, uh, work with airplanes. I, as far as real notoriety, first of all, he's a character. I mean, he's a he's a person who fills the room when he comes into it. He's kind of bigger than life. Um, he uh, again, as I mentioned, if he liked you, he was very generous. If he didn't like you, he wouldn't give you the time of day. Um, some may have thought he was arrogant or whatever, but um, he, his big impact. I mean, 
I think as far as being known is in the aviation circles is he wrote the textbook on uh, how to what you have to do to maintain and fly a, a Metzerschmitt's uh, ME109s. He he bought uh, what may have been Adolf Hitler's plane or one a sister plane to it, which is a uh, a Junker. It's a tri motor, and uh, and uh, he and a group of his friends uh, set the world record, which still stands today, of the most people out on a wing walk on that plane. <laughs> he uh, he did the stunt flying, uh, and he wrote a book about it, uh, everything but flak. Uh, I think that's with B seventeens. Uh, um, so I, I think that's probably where he, he knew to be sure. You know, it's interesting you ask that question because I think one of the reasons I'm interested in Caden and doing a documentary about him is I don't think enough people know him. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I know the name Tom Clancy, but I don't know much about his life. I, uh, I, I, I know, uh, the name Stephen King, and I know a little bit about his life, and he comments on things pretty regularly because of social media. Of course, uh, Martin Caden uh, was kind of ahead of social media, so I don't know, but I just think there's lots of great stories uh, about Marty that uh, we we need to share because I think he'll have a, an impact on on maybe some of the uh, younger generation today. Um, did you ever uh, collaborate with him on a film or anything like that? Uh, that's one of my sad uh, uh, things. I think is a failure. Uh, you know, he actually uh, in the uh, in the eighties. Brought some projects to me that he would he wanted us to collaborate on, and I had just uh, started this business, the communications concepts uh, production business. Uh, I have to say we were doing pretty well at the time, um, being that we were producing all of the commercial rocket launches, uh, live coverage of the commercial ro- rocket launches. But uh, so I kind of passed on the projects. The projects didn't have budgets associated with them, and I really needed the time. I thought at the time to work in a business, but looking back, I would say the, these are opportunities I should have I should have capitalized on because uh, who knows where that would have gone. And I think that might be part of my drive also on trying to get this documentary about Martin Caden out because um, uh, I, I again I, he definitely had an impact on my life. Uh, you have an email from Todd, and he says you're talking about uh, decades and decades ago when government was exclusively in space and the commercial sector only did things under contract, usually cost plus contracting to the government. Did he foresee a commercial transition in space? Did he see what was coming up? Uh, Was he active in the later years when space was transitioning to commercial and did he have any thoughts on the commercial component? Well, first of all, he covered the space program uh, through the shuttle program. Uh, that's pretty much where his coverage of the space program led. And I have to say, he he didn't cover the business aspect of things so much. He was more the technology guy. Um, he definitely had visions of uh, technology and and. Um, and ahead of this time, I mean, his his book Cyborg, for example, uh, where he, um, you know, talked about putting a person back together with uh, bionic parts. Um, at that time, when he wrote that book, uh, it may or may not have happened. He 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 proclaims that the Air Force did a secret project and really did that, but um, 
but regardless of what they did, I mean, he has now led, I mean, if you start looking around today, how many people have somewhat bionic artificial limbs, how many, you know, I just read an article the other day that they've got a, uh, a bionic pancreas out there now, and, and that's all stuff that I think, again, he got people thinking about the possibilities uh, with with the six million dollar man, a cyborg, the bionic woman, and 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 that um, I don't have the full story yet. I, I'm still, you know, I'm talking to different people that knew him and stuff. But he uh, he helped the para, uh, paraplegic, I believe, skydive, and I think he just had this very big belief that uh, it's the human spirit uh, that moves us forward, and it's not our limbs, it's not this, but that with technology we'll be able to uh, to advance. And so when you ask me if did he see a commercial side to space, I'm, I'm sure he probably did. But at the same time, I think the uh, the big thing he saw was all the different technology possibilities that come with with, with space expanding. Um, another question is Sherry in Seattle. And uh, you say you're working on a documentary. Were you working on this with him while he was still alive? Or is this all post uh, his life? And he was not aware of it while he was living, and it's in memory to him. And how is it getting funded? Jim, are you there? Uh, Jim Lewis is our guest. Cox Cable went out, and uh, it has come back on. So um, we should be good to go. And, uh, Jim, you're with us? I'm here. Okay, and, uh, so I'm rec- I, I know what technical difficulties are like. <laughs> I'm, I'm recording, and I'm watching the view meter. meter. So, uh, listeners, if you're listening uh, and you're, you're still with us, uh, please, um, you know, let me know. Make sure that you, you know that, uh, that I'm hearing, okay? That, that you're hearing me, so um, that uh, you know would be uh, would be really crucial. Um, when we left off, um, we were asking you about was was he participatory in the um, documentary, and and how are you uh, funding it? Okay, well, um, okay, uh, hold on, I'm, I'm getting notes. Uh, from people that the stream is back up. Thank you very much for sharing that with me. Guys, you, you've heard me complain, bitch, and groan about Cox Cable and um, that they're horrible, and they are horrible, and so I'll just take a moment to shout out that they are beyond horrible. But their system did come back up, and my telephones are connected to Cox Cable, so when it goes down, my telephones go down too. But we are back, and I was able to catch Jim b- before he went out to the launch pad. So uh, uh, <laughs> the documentary, he was aware of it and not aware of it, and how are you funding it? Okay, well, let first of all, I don't know where I got cut off, but the question come in from one of your uh, yeah, listeners. Sherry about- in Seattle, uh-huh. Yeah, co- commercial space, and if he envisioned that, and, and just in case my answer didn't get out, I, I don't know, but my impression was that uh, Caden wrote mostly about the new technology coming online, and uh, and less about the business aspects of things, and so he probably did visualize it, but but I don't think he actually wrote about it, you know, and I, as I mentioned, in I don't know if, when I got cut off exactly, but... You know, if you look at like uh, his book, 
cyborg and the $6 million man, I mean, he saw the ability of uh, technology to help people that have impairments, whether they're through an accident, like shown in the $6 million man, or maybe from birth. And uh, and I think it's that that vision uh, that really drove a lot of his technology uh, books. So um, as far as, uh, you know, um, Martin Caden passed away uh, quite a few years ago now, and, uh, and and so he's not he's not collaborating with me on this documentary. Maybe maybe spiritually is I'm not sure, but uh, but his um, widow uh, Dee Dee Caden uh, has been very helpful, uh, and so I'm I'm making my way slowly through seven or eight boxes of uh, Martin Caden materials that she has loaned to me. Um, I also made an announcement about this documentary uh, at a, uh, a group of old elder, I guess is the right term, elder space people here at the Missile Range and Space Pioneers meeting. And I've had two or three people come out of the woodwork, so to speak, that had definite personal first-hand knowledge of, of Marty and had done things with him. And so, you know, they're definitely providing uh, information, pictures, and, uh, and and those types of things. So, um, you know, the uh, the opportunity for the documentary is, is, is I'll just kind of, it's interesting how things happen, I think, for a purpose somehow. Sometimes you don't understand the purpose, but I started thinking about doing this documentary about Martin Caden in October or November of last year, and then I so I, I tracked down uh, his widow, Dee Dee Caden, and um, and when I talked to her, she says, "Oh, I'm going to be uh, on the, in this in your area in the Space Coast because we're sending uh, Marty's ashes into space on the Vulcan launch." And I, I didn't even know that was going to happen. And so I had an opportunity to interview her, and, and and we talked about covering the Vulcan launch. We covered the launch. We covered the memorial service. Uh, so people who spoke about the various people that were on that launch. Uh, uh, and so uh, what's the other thing? So, so in the first box of materials, she, as I said, seven, seven, or seven plus boxes of materials, well, about there's a folder. And in this area, we have a, we have a newspaper. It's a Gannett paper. And um, they used to, they don't do this anymore, they used to have this inquiring photographer. And there'd be six people in the local area that they would interview with one question, and they'd each provide their answers. And so I open it up, and there's a clipping, of of the Marty's widow, Dee Dee Caden, and she's one of the people in the inquiring photographers, and two blocks over with the same question is my a picture of my dad. Now, I don't know what the odds of that are is, but it's just an interesting start. So I feel like um, you know, everything's kind of aligned with this and um and so and so that's why I, re- I really think um this is something I have to do. And uh, and then you kind of jumped into funding, and, and I'd like to kind of just share a couple more things before I get in, get into the funding aspects. But um, you know, I did finally work with directly with Martin Caden when I I I, I did a, uh, a documentary about the future, and this was in the '80s, um, and what we thought the future would be, and it was funded by the Smithsonian uh, through a local museum. And uh, one of the people I interviewed, of course, was Marty Caden because he definitely. Uh, understood the future and he was one of the better guests on it. I mean, I had some people from the health industry, from the education industry, uh from the uh new technology industries uh like the internet and such, and they all gave interesting things, but uh Martin Caden was definitely the go-to guy in that documentary. And um 
you know, his parting words, his ending words on the documentary, and, and this kind of relates back to, did he see the commercialization of space? His parting words on that, on that documentary is something to the effect that, you know, mankind, the human race, will not be guaranteed a future until we can put the human race on the planets of other suns, on the planets of other stars. And, uh, you know, I think that is definitely, and he definitely was interested in that. I, I know that's a goal of a lot of the, a lot of the commercial uh, space companies today is to get us out there and to, to move out into the the solar system and beyond. So, um, and and his his view of the future in that documentary were just spot on. So, and then the last thing when I in the '90s, which is the last time I saw uh, Martin Caden alive, but then he had moved to Gainesville, Florida. At Gainesville's where the University of Florida was, and he was a a, uh, a professor there. Um, and he had, had, had built this room in his house, uh, and it's picture a room. It's like a big closet, and um, it had glass windows on on two sides. And he had taped over all the electrical plugs in this room. He had taped over the air conditioning duct in this room, and on it there was this table. And on the table there were nails sticking up through it, almost like pins, and he would put these little pieces, uh, which he called targets, of like little umbrellas from folded paper. And he could sit on the other side of the glass, and I have videotape of this, I videotaped it, and I've shown it to experts and nobody can explain it, and he he would think about an object and he could tell you which way he would make it turn and he could make the various objects and there was probably 20, 30 of these objects in there and he had them all categorized in, uh, in by rows and columns and he would say row number nine object three will turn counterclockwise and he could turn it counterclockwise but he had uh, he had spent almost two years two or three hours a day looking at those objects in the room to develop uh, telekinesis and he was a very big believer in the power of the mind and I think that resonates through all this I brought my uh, my son who was a teenager at the time and he was just blown away with it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So when you think about all his passions about space, about airplanes, about flying, uh, bionic technology, uh, psychic abilities, and the unknown, I mean, it's just, I, I just feel like this is the stuff uh, that everybody needs to know a little bit more about. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm putting a documentary together. It's not a personal story just about me. I'm trying to get all the people that, as I, you've already can kind of tell, that knew Martin Caden well. And uh, I've got a bunch of never-before clips of Caden that I've shot and that others have shot. And um, I, I just hope this tribute will will maybe motivate young people today. So, um, yes, and, and as David, as you know, I've done several documentaries before. And uh, all the documentaries I've done up until now have uh, – I've self-funded. I, I put up all the money for them myself and uh, produced them, but I am looking for some help this time. And uh, um, I've already got the research going. As I said, I already shot some interviews. I'm already uh, scanning and transferring a lot of uh, archival materials, but there's a lot more work to be done. And so I, I need to raise some additional money. I'm trying to raise about $40,000 to help fund some travel expenses, uh, so additional archival research, licensing fees. Uh, you know, I'd like to get some clips, you know, of the six million dollar man of the uh, uh, movie Marooned and things like that. And those all they won't provide those, I'm sure, for free. Or it'd be it'd be nice if they would, and maybe they will, but it's very doubtful. We obviously, have legal services. 
uh, and, and things like that. So that's what that money would be used for. It won't pay for my time. I'm putting up all my time, and I'm putting up you know some of my own money as well. But um, I want to make a high-quality documentary that will reach a wide audience, especially the next generation, and I need people's help to, to do that. So um, I'm how, how are you raising the money? Well, I've started a GoFundMe page, uh, and it's um, – I, 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 hopefully you can post the link to it because it's it's a garbage, uh, uh, garbled uh, letters and numerics. But, yeah, I saw that um, you, you sent it but, to me. Uh, I, can, I can post. People it. can donate to the GoFundMe. It's real easy. You just put the donate button. Even if you can't donate, maybe you'll share the link with someone else so that they might. Um, and also uh, through that link, you can probably get a hold of me. Uh, and if so, if someone knows Martin Caden out there, I would love to talk with you. Um, there's also a place on there where you can post comments about this project, uh, and you know, even uh, positive support on that, even if it isn't financial support, uh, would be appreciated. So, okay, we're we're getting a phone call. Let's see how well this works. Okay. Okay. Uh, sure. Good morning, caller. Welcome to the space show and Cox Cable. How are you today? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it's John Fort Worth, of course. Um, Hi, John. Yeah, uh, I, um, this, this, uh, old documentary about predicting the future. What time period, I won't catch you, what time period was that in? Um, Smithsonian one that is. I interviewed him about the future for a Smithsonian documentary that was done uh, through a local museum, and that was done in the eighties. Oh, eighties. Oh, okay. Well, I can see how that might have been good prediction. I was thinking more how how I might have thought. In the late '60s, and I would say that yeah. when I was younger. I guess and it certainly hasn't turned out the way I would have thought then. But <laughs> '80s, I don't know. Things were getting to where I would say I can kind of see how you could be maybe close to having the right trajectory at that point. <laughs> well, he predicted he predicted a lot of things. I mean, again, the bionics uh, is probably one of his bigger predictions. Obviously, we've linked with the Russians that he predicted going way back to, to the movie Marooned in the mid '60s. Uh, so, um, but he also talked about other things about uh, matter and antimatter devices um, and, and other technologies that uh, are, you know, some are some are probably in existence today, but we probably don't know about them completely. Uh, let me let me interrupt you all for just a second. I posted the link to Jim's GoFundMe page on the blog for this show, listeners. So it is up on the blog right now if you want to go check it out. And uh, I just wanted to let everyone know that, Jim. Thank you, David. And uh, as far as, you know, donations for it, too, uh, you know, no amount is too small or too big. So thank you for your help. Okay, that sounds good. I was just, well, I don't know, I, I had thought things would progress a lot further when I was younger. The 80s, I don't know, but the 80s, like you say, I might be starting to think, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit older, but what I was expecting in the late 60s or early 70s, I was thinking we would be like, you know, have a moon base by now and probably have gone to Mars and may probably have controlled fusion and things like that, you know. And, and of course, uh, that hasn't happened. <laughs> uh. Well, you know, you, the question you got to ask yourself about a lot of those things is why haven't they happened, uh, I, I think. And that would be, uh, you know, I think that would be a Martin Caden's approach, too. I mean, when you talk about how, I mean, I was here on the Space Coast when the Apollo program shut down. 
and it was uh, uh, devastating uh, to this area. Um, and, and we had no no plans of what to do next. Um, we did eventually make the transition to the space shuttle, which is a low Earth orbit vehicle, which has done a lot of wonderful things, and it's an amazing vehicle. But it did take us uh, a detour from uh, moving outward into space, which um, I think is an and, and I think Caden actually said it best: is it's a very important for the human race that we do move out into space. You know. The life on this earth is finite. Uh, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be tomorrow, or hopefully not. But, um, but if we don't start figuring out a way to move from planet to planet in different solar systems, um, you know, humankind will come to an end one day. Maybe like the dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, one thing I guess that has happened that, that probably exceeded my expectations from that period would be the electronics. I mean, that is really went exponential. You know, and that's, I mean, you know, I'm just saying in terms of computers and, uh, well, everything, you know, the phones, the, the, the smartphones and everything else like that was way ahead of where I would have thought maybe even in 1980, you know, I mean, or something like that, you know. And that, yeah, that's, the, what, uh, that's been the explosive thing. One of the things thing. back in 1980 I know that he was talking about is uh, he definitely saw the potential of GPS systems and how they were going to be in your cars and on your phone and everything else. And uh, he was he was very uh, very accurate with that as well. Do you know what his early education was? Uh, what might have sparked his uh, his views into the future and his interest in those worlds? Did he study science or uh, what? Were there any triggers? As far as I know, he didn't study science. He he really, uh, uh, you know, came out of World War II, and um, he, you know was very interested initially in aircraft, and eventually migrated to the space center where he took an interest in in the rocket launches, um, and and really became an expert. On he was a person. You know, had, some say he had a photographic memory. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but he definitely um, learned everything he could about a topic when he became interested in it and, and would be an expert, someone you could call upon with very accurate uh, information on that. John, do you have more or want to vacate the line for someone else or go ahead with with more if you well, want. Well, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know, I, I think that, um, one last thing, I guess, um, I would say that you're talking about the future. When I was younger and, you know, maybe going into, into high, out of high school and college, that period, there was a lot of focus on the future, you know, I mean, and discussion. Today, I don't think anybody, I don't see many people in popular media much talking about the future. It's like, unless it's a, a negative thing, like some environmental catastrophe or something. But other than that, you don't really see anybody really saying, hey, someday from now we'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. And if it is suggested, it's like, yeah, but it probably will be bad. You know, they'll use it to control us or something, you know. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's not that bleak. I mean, um, in, you know, first of all, prior to me being back in the 50s, I agree with you, first of all, we did talk about the future a lot. I mean, GM called their car shows to Futurama, and, you know, they had the influence of the rockets in a lot of their cars and stuff, and, and um, even the way advertising was done, if you look at it in that era, it was all, you know, futuristic and stuff. But uh, that said... Um, you know, during that time, you had Buck Rogers, and you had uh, spaceships landing vertically. We have spaceships landing vertically today. Um, if you listen to some of the, the speeches of 
uh, Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, they definitely talk about the future and, and going outward into space. And, you know, you know Elon, almost everything he, he says he does is so that we can, uh, you know, get to Mars at least, to get out to Mars. And, and it, it, all of his companies kind of work help him work in that direction. So I, I don't know if it's quite as bleak as we don't talk about the future as much. I will say that um, it's it probably isn't as much as a society thing, but there's definitely people who talk about the future, and I, I definitely think the it's spawned, especially, you know, the question earlier about commercial space. Uh, we have so many different companies coming at space from so many different directions now. Um, it's kind of a renaissance of the space age right now, but it's a very different renaissance. It's not the government uh, pushing this stuff out there like we did with Apollo. And, um, and you know, a lot of these companies probably won't make it, but a lot of them will. And I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Well, I have to agree with you about Elon. Well, I'll clear the line for the next person. Thank you very much, John. Um, listeners, you can give us a call if you would like to check in with Jim and the space show this morning. The phone number, one eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three. Do you have some sort of an expected completion release date for the documentary? Well, first of all, I want to say documentaries have usually take, at least ones I've worked on, and I've, I've done at least three now, uh, have kind of a meandering course. Because as you, it's kind of like an explorer, as you find one thing, it leads you to another. But uh, I'm working diligently to try and get this done in a, a four- to six-month period of time, but it, it could take outwards of a, of a year or more. I, I um, As of right now, I have to say a lot of things have gone well. <laughs> uh, we, we've been able to find people who really knew him. Uh, we have kind of a, a uh, even with the small amount of interviews we've shot this time, we kind of have an outline of how the documentary will go together. And so... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that we should be able to wrap it up in, in, in four to six months. If we don't get tied up uh, with problems with trying to get rights to materials, uh, you know, you, you think about newspaper clippings or you think about the films that are out there, you, you have to, you know, uh, acquire those rights before you can put them in the documentary. Um, you have another caller. And, uh, good, All right. Good morning, caller. Welcome to our program with Jim Lewis. Who are you? Where are you, please? Hi, David. This is John in Fremont, California. Hi, John. Glad you were able to get back on and listen to the show today. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a great show. And uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, ask a, a, a few other questions, but uh, I really enjoyed Marooned and uh, The Six Million Dollar Man. So, um, and Cyborg, I, I, I read that book as well. Um, now there are a couple other movie tie-ins um, uh, that that he he uh, uh, has uh, novels that he wrote that were turned into movies. Uh, one was the Final Countdown. Is that correct? Right. Yep. And Where a nuclear he's also nuclear he also uh, up for yep. another author and wrote uh, two of the Indiana Jones books. That's the other one I wanted to mention. Uh, I, I I noticed that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he's, uh, um, really affected, uh, some of the, you know, um, uh, the movie genres out there. So, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I was reading that he, uh, wrote a book called Exit Earth about, uh, like a Noah's Ark 
Uh, yeah, except space space related. And uh, do you know anything about that? I haven't read that book, but it sounds interesting. Well, first of all, I haven't read the book, but I am aware of the book, and I do know from um, my interview with Marty about the future, he definitely was a very big believer that we have to be prepared. We uh, work towards leaving Earth, so uh, that falls in line. And coming back to Indiana Jones for a second, um, you know, his book in Indiana Jones and the White Witch, uh, you know, that ties into his later interest in telekinesis and, and unknown powers of the mind. And, uh, and, and you're right. I mean, I think he influenced a lot of, a lot of movies. I mean, Cyborg at the time he wrote that in, in 66 or 67, somewhere in there, um, you know, was just way ahead of its time. Uh, no one was talking about putting artificial limbs on people at that time and, uh, and electronic eyeballs and such. And he definitely was a, he definitely was a big believer in that, but he was a big believer in that, uh, it seems to me from everything I know that, you know, he's a big believer in, again, uh, facilitating humans to do more, uh, a big believer in the, in the, you know, the human, the, the possibility of, of the human race. So, so this telekinesis, um, kinesis um, uh, phenomenon. Uh, did he ever have anybody, uh, any scientists, uh, substantiate any of that, or was this all on his own? And I'm just wondering. Uh, it, you know, there was there was a uh, a guy, uh, I, I, a scientist named James. I think his name was James Randy that used to debunk. Uh, a lot of uh, fake uh, magic type stuff, and I'm just wondering if he took a look at that. Um, well, first of all, I, I, I don't I don't know the answer to your question. Um, when I went up there, I looked the room over myself personally, <laughs> and and I I don't I didn't see anything. And I have other people that were with me, and they all just can't figure out how it was done. It had to be done with his mind. But I also know there's a uh, a large number of scientists believe that telekinesis is impossible. Um, and uh, I found an interview specifically with a, uh, a doctor. He's passed away now. Uh, I think he was from Emory University. And uh, he, he he questioned whether that type of stuff is possible or not. But um, I am trying to get some experts to weigh in on that topic as part of the, uh, part of the documentary because um, – I think it's important to see if we can validate or disprove what went on there. But, um, you know, I, one of his manuscripts that he was working on, it looks seems like an unfinished manuscript that I found, uh, is uh, he thought that uh, Adolf Hitler had hypnotic powers over crowds. And uh, that was a mental, a mental thing. Yeah, and he, he did wow. research on that. But I'm not... Um, but you know, people do. You know, some people are charismatic. Is, is charismatic a mental power, or is it? Are they really just charismatic? I don't know. So, uh, you know, I think you're getting into an area that uh, oh, there's a. It's open to interpretation too. So let me say a few words because I I don't know what he did for telekinesis or not. But um, <clears throat> uh, there's a part of my life that I don't talk about and. Uh, uh, I certainly have not talked about it, I don't think, on the space show. Uh, but um, I took some classes from some well-known uh, energy healers, which people will laugh and, and, uh, 
and and screw around with for sure. <clears throat> some of them had MD degrees and and some of them had uh, PhD, uh, but not uh, science degrees. Other kinds of degrees, and and I really did take lots and lots of these, and I did it because when my younger son was born with cystic fibrosis, the prognosis for his life was in the shithole. Excuse my French. I mean, they they told us if he lived to be seven, uh, you know, it would be a miracle. And then if he lived to be 13, it would be a And on and on and on and on and on. So I decided that I, I there's no way I can be a doctor, but if there is anything to doing energy kind of telepathic healing, then I wanted to learn it so I could, you know, help and work on my son. To make a long story short, there were multiple times during his early life, um, and this was before some of the newer medicines came out, where um, he needed to go to the hospital for some really bad lung infections. And uh, I bargained with his doctors to give me three days to do energy healing on him. And I think there were four out of six times where he did not have to go to the hospital. That's now, amazing. whether whether the drug he stayed on his drugs at the depth the time whether the drugs finally kicked in I don't know whether the energy healing I mean could you do a scientific test and and say that did it I don't know that you could do that but I do know that I kept him out of the hospital I think it was four times where he would have gone in for IV antibiotics for 2 to 3 weeks at a time whether, whether there's anything to it and, and whether James Randi would tell me where to go stick it, I can't tell you that. But that's my personal experience with it. And so um, I, I do think there's something to it, but I, I, don't, I can't say much more about it. I wish, I, I wish we knew for a fact, but uh, I, I just know my experiences with it. So... Uh, I wish I had known about Martin Caden. It would have been fun to meet him, but because uh, this was all in the '80s, and uh, yep. uh, and that would have been a, a good time to meet up with him. So, anyway, um, I just thought I'd share that because uh, I, I I think uh, that there might be some potential there, but um, I don't know how you'd ever prove it. Yeah, well, I think the thing is when you start venturing into the unknown, which this is in that area. You know, uh, it's called the unknown because we don't know. <laughs> and uh, but I do know. Um, I don't know if it's energy healing or what, but I do believe myself personally in in mental power from the standpoint of you know uh, if you go back to what is it uh, the guy that was that would teach you uh, um, to be a good speaker again if you think enthusiastic you'll be enthusiastic and and i think that there's a lot of truth in that if 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 you are if you believe um if you don't believe it won't happen if you do believe it might happen uh you you got a note from uh the other john who called a few minutes ago uh john hunt and uh i know we don't want to get off on this subject but he said don't forget about the work of jb rhine on psychic research so um 
I just throw that out there since John Hunt sent the note in. I'm not familiar. I appreciate that. I'm not familiar with J.B. Ryan. Are you, Jim? I am not. In fact, I haven't. You know that the telekinesis part is in the later part of his life, and uh, I haven't really got into other than what I witnessed myself personally, what I've uh, videotaped myself personally. I haven't. As I said, I'm going to be looking for some experts to chime in on that, and I haven't. I have not done any research on that. I've been right now just trying to gather materials. But it will be in your documentary, right? It will definitely be in the documentary. Yeah, you know, the world will get to see uh, see these and decide for themselves as well. So, yeah. Uh, Fremont John, do you have anything more you want to add or or to contribute? Uh, did uh, Did Mr. Lewis say when when the documentary is scheduled to come out, or well, it doesn't have a date to come out. I'm hoping, you know, I'm targeting four to six months to get it produced, but it could take upwards to a little over a year to get it produced. It just depends on, you know, where our research, where our uh, discovery leads us and what we find, and, uh, and then also how long it takes to get legal licensing on things. Uh, but, you know, we'd like to, once we get it produced, we'd like to get it out as quickly as possible after that. Okay. Well, thank you, and I'll let someone else call in. Talk to you later, David. Thank you, John. Uh, listeners, you too can call in, 866-687-7223. This is a little off the topic, but uh, you're probably as good a person to ask this question as anyone on the planet. So this is Harry in Tucson, and he says, given you're down there in the in the Cape area, in the Cocoa Beach area, and you know these launches and the people. What do you hear that you can tell us about a possible ULA sale to Blue Origin or another company? Do you hear anything about these rumors? What can you well, share with I, us? Well, I see the same rumors everybody else does. And, um, you know, uh, ULA, of course, is a, a partnership of uh, Boeing and Lockheed Martin. It's a separate company, but, but it's a partnership, their partnership. Um, and I've read the same things that, you know, they're up for sale. Um, I, you know, here at the Space Center, Blue Origin has built uh, some gigantic facilities. Um, they're actually, you know, doing the manufacturing of their bigger rocket, the New Glenn here. Um, they've rolled that rocket out recently, not put it on the pad, but rolled it out. It's uh, quite amazing. It uses similar engine technology as the Vulcan. Um, so I can see see some uh, a path to uh, uh, joining those two together. Uh, Amazon, of course, and uh, Blue Origin and Jeff Bezos, you know, have unlimited funds. He's uh, pretty much personally funded Blue Origin. Uh, gosh, going on almost ten years now, I guess. I don't know exactly how long it's been around, but to the tune of about a billion dollars a year, he puts into it. Um, and if you come here to the Space Coast and you go out to the visitor complex, right across the street from the visitor complex is the, the Blue Origin campus, and it is uh, it is amazing how how large it is. Uh, it's uh, you know big facilities. It's a big rocket. If they if they get their uh, New Glenn rocket going, I mean it'll be the largest rocket in the world at the time. Um, a little bit bigger than the current. Uh, uh, starship that they're launching out of Texas, and um, you know it'll be amazing. So, but I haven't heard anything specific. Hard, hard facts. Uh, Tony Brumo uh, hasn't said a lot about it. That's the guy that runs uh, ULA, and uh, but um, I, you know, I guess it could happen. I don't know. 
uh, boy, not having you lay down there, would that be kind of strange, wouldn't it? Well, um, you know, I guess it would, you know, if you think about it that way, David, I guess it would be kind of like the continuation of the, of new space. You know, ULA is, uh, a, uh, um, even, even though it's a separate company, it, it really is an outgrowth of, uh, I don't want to call it old space, but traditional, uh, space companies. Right. Lockheed Martin, Boeing, you know, as opposed to new space companies, you know, like Relativity, like Blue Origin, like SpaceX. And so if if all of a sudden I, a new space company was to buy ULA, it, it would be close to the uh, uh, the, the last of the uh, traditional space companies launching rockets here. So uh, Interesting. When did uh, Martin Caden pass away? You know, I don't know if that year right in front of me, but it, it was in, in, the, in the 90s. Uh, he uh, he passed away. Did he request uh, his uh, remains go into space, or is this something that that they? No, Dee Dee, his him? widow. I asked her that question and uh, said that he didn't really uh, designate what to do with his remains, and uh, he uh, she ran across this. It was kind of. Uh, fate sort of thing uh-huh. uh and uh and she just thought this would be perfect and and uh that's how that happened um you mentioned that you were at the celestis activities um for yeah. the for the rocket launch uh i've been to uh that once for um i i guess it was a suborbital flight out of new mexico with uh my dogs that were on it at the time and uh, it didn't impress me at all as as a funeral. It, it was a pretty amazing experience and very very upbeat, given that there are all these families that are launching remains of loved ones to to space. Did did you come away that that this was like a a really sad funeral or more of a, a joyous sort of commemorative event? Um, I think somewhere in between those two. Um, first of all, this was the third Celestis event I've been to, and uh, I have to say Celestis has got much better at running their events. Um, it was very organized. It was very well run, uh, very well attended, of course, as you mentioned, by the loved ones of those that have uh, remains going up. But um, I thought, it, you know, I didn't, personally know many people uh i knew of many people on this mission but i didn't personally know any of them but i found myself sitting there um and i became emotionally attached it it's uh you know it's amazing um how um a loved one can sum up a person's life in you know 2 to 5 minutes and how much you get out of it and uh um you know, it's it's uh, you know, human life is uh, too, very short, <laughs> and uh, it, it it actually touched me quite a bit, uh, David. Um, and and no, it is it is somewhere be. I don't know if it's joyous, but most people were fairly positive about it. There was a reoccurring positive theme that, um, you know, they want their person, the person involved, to be remembered. Um, that this was a dream, um, and. And it was the appropriate uh, 
finish to, uh, or I don't know if it's a finish, a crowning moment to their life or whatever. So, um, yes, and they, and Celestis does do uh, a really incredible job at at putting this together and and sort of holding a sacred space for the families of those that uh, uh, are going up there. So, um, I, I think it's something that you know people who love space might consider. Uh, Hopefully not for a long, long time, but uh, you know it's an option that that is uh, out there. Is that what you're going to do? Wish for your remains, Jim? No, that's not not my wish for my remains. I, I love to go to space when I'm alive, though. Uh, but uh, no, I uh, I don't know if I should go into it here. But uh, I, um, I I I. When, 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 I, when I pass away, I hope there's a, just a giant party. I don't even mean a celebration of life. I just hope the people that I know, uh, you know, maybe may a pub or a bar or something like that, and, and uh, I probably will fund it, and, uh, and I hope they just have a great time. Uh, you know, I'm gone, and I, I, I hope, you know, the last memory they have of something to do with me is it was a wonderful time. So. Um, you have a, a thing from Jennifer in Denver, Colorado, and she says, um, Jim, you've been around a long time, even before David doing the space show. I've heard you on many of your earlier programs. Uh, I'm curious if you reflect over the years you've been in the space industry, did you expect the kind of changes from commercial space that have happened in the last, say, five to ten years? And did you expect one company, one person, that would dominate, dominate and make the changes happen, such as Elon Musk? Did you see any of this coming over the years that you were in the space business and still are in the space business? Or did it unfold and did it surprise you? Um, well, first of all, I, I think if, if you look at me historically, I don't know if I've been a great visionary. <laughs> I, uh, I've had a couple of visionary opportunities uh, that I, uh, I, I probably missed out on, one being with uh, Martin Caden specifically. But, um, in, you know, the change, it se- probably seems like it came pretty quickly, but the change really came uh, uh, pretty sl- slowly. I mean, um, if you think about, uh, I think it was after the Challenger accident, and we're now back to Ronald Reagan as president. He signs the Commercialization of Space Act, and the Commercialization of Space Act basically said if the U.S. has a launch pad or some launching resources, a commercial company can use it on a cost reimbursement basis. And that was the be- you know at that time when he signed that act, the United States had no commercial rocket launches, even though commercial rocket launches were available elsewhere in the world. Not many other places. But but they were available elsewhere in the world. So that got things started. Uh, um, McDonnell Douglas had the Delta rocket that they made for the government, and they commercially launched uh, the Delta rocket. Shortly after that, General Dynamics had the Atlas rocket, and they launched the Atlas rocket commercially. And, uh, uh, you know, eventually, uh, for a short period of time, Martin Marietta uh, launched the, the Titan rocket commercially. Now, all those companies have come and merged, you know, McDonnell Douglas merges into Boeing. Um, um, General Dynamics got bought by Martin Marietta, which got bought by 
uh, Lockheed and became Lockheed Martin, or maybe they didn't buy them, maybe they merged them, I'm not exactly sure. But anyway, all these companies have evolved. And so um, that started commercial space, and that's quite a while ago. And then um, when... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think who was our head of NASA at the time, but um, but uh, at my, that time, uh, I'm trying to think it's... Uh, were you talking about... Maybe it was Char- Charlie Bolden. It might have been before Charlie Bolden. Um, that we, would be, um, be Mike Griffin we, was before him. Yeah, Mike Griffin. We, we kind of paved the way for um, a companies like Elon Musk, SpaceX, uh, to uh, go a little further on the range than they had before. Uh, specifically, you know, SpaceX had been launching uh, on the Pacific Ocean, uh, their little Falcon 1 rocket uh, with mixed uh, things, and then they came here to Cape Canaveral to launch uh, the Falcon 9. And um, they really did get a lot of uh, help from uh, both the federal government uh, and, and from uh, the state of Florida. Space Florida, they really, they were the first to kind of get their own uh, commercial company, go get a launch pad assigned to themselves and, and build from there. And, uh, um, so I think that was, you know, kind of the next evolution. I, I, I don't know if I really, I guess if, if there's anything I didn't really see, I, I really think I saw, I've been a big fan of, you know, commercial launch companies and expanding launches and expanding our chances to get into space. Um, and I'll come back to that topic in a second. But what I probably didn't see was how uh, how eventually commercial space would, in the, in the last couple of years, dominate uh, the transition uh, from government-based launches to commercial launches. And, you know, last year we had the most launches ever, uh, and that's just going back to uh, even in the 60s when we were launching all kinds of things all over the place. But, uh, you know, we had nearly 100 launches last year. They're predicting we'll have almost 120 launches this year. So if you come to the Space Coast, there's a chance that you can see a launch, uh, you know, in any given week, uh, maybe two. <laughs> so that's unusual. And I think it's also, uh, you know, space tourism. You know, when a launch was once a month or something, it would cause a swell in our tourists coming into the area. But uh, but but now, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say people don't notice them at all, and there definitely are people here, but we definitely, you know, the, the launches aren't quite as special as they used to be. But if you think about that, that's a logical evolution. People don't gather around an airport to watch an airplane take off anymore, and, and I think soon uh, – in the next few years, it would be just like that with rocket launches. Uh, if you were to say where is it going to be in 10 years, do you venture out a, a guess on what you think the industry will be like in 10 years? <laughs> well, I hope in 10 years that uh, we're definitely back on the moon working, uh, whether that be with uh, the Artemis SLS project or somebody else. Uh, but I, And I hope it's American, uh, just with a sense of pride, but it might not be. Who knows? Um, I'm hoping we maybe even in 10 years, you know, have have at least a manned mission to Mars. Obviously, we got to figure out a bunch of stuff to really take a, a and I shouldn't say manned, I guess I should not say a human mission to Mars. Uh, the uh, There's a lot of things. I mean, the length of time it takes to get there, the length of time it would get to get back, um, you know, a lot more to figure out. Uh, but uh, I w- that, w- that would be my hope. Um, are you a fan, or did you follow, or do you still follow uh, O'Neill and, and 
what do you think of O'Neillian structures? Do you think we'll see that in, in free space? Um, gosh, the structures in space, they're coming out from so many different ways, David. Uh, you know, and so I think the answer is, um, yes, how they're going to be exactly, um, I don't know if it's been defined yet. Um, but you think it's, you're seeing it happen at some point? Yes. I mean, don't you? Um, I think, I think the moon and Mars are going to happen first. And um, I think uh, a lot of uh, the timeline for O'Neillian structures depends on these private space stations that are in various stages of, of research and development and construction uh, that are going to take over what when the ISS retires later right. this, later this decade, maybe the 2030 range, something like that. So if those private stations, if if a few of them get up and are operating and they're successful, and they're developing markets, I think that greatly enhances the research and development and the investment that would be needed for O'Neillian structures. If if those private stations run into snafus or have problems or they don't materialize, I think that really slows down um, the O'Neill concept. So, I, yeah, well, you know, I don't know if you ever talked to Dylan Taylor, but Dylan's invested quite a bit of money in trying to get some structures or right. habitats in space. Yeah, so. he has one that, that they're working on. His firm is part of it. So, uh, but uh, I think there's four or five private stations in the works, and yep. um, uh, I think they can definitely enhance uh, in space construction and going yep. toward at least some sort of O'Neill structure, maybe not the big, large, giant ones that they talk about. But, boy, if the if the private stations lay an egg and don't make it, uh, I think that slows down everything. Well, it, you know, it, it's hard to visualize. You know, I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff out here, what we haven't had yet. You know, there's been a lot of talk right. about uh, – Power collection systems in space with some type of microwave or laser transmission to get the power back to Earth. That's an interesting concept. There's, um, you know, going way back to Bigelow, I mean, the inflatable uh, technique where you can take a very small payload up and, and, and build a habitat, and I guess, you know, that's still in the works as well. Um, you know, there's just, you just and, and the robotics are just coming along at a, you know, in a whole different area, but robotic everything from vacuum cleaners to cars to uh, personal helpers to uh, warehouse workers and there there's no telling what these robotics and and 3d printing will will do in space so i i, I don't know it's hard to it's, when you want to start visualizing it it's very hard to visualize the future because you don't know what's just around the corner that's going to change it uh you have an email from kelly in chicago and kelly says uh Every once in a while, um, great visionaries and other attributes that make people great come along, such as uh, what you're talking about with Martin Caden today. Uh, I'm wondering if you see any future Martin Cadens evolving, uh, at least on the space industry, from all the people you know. And if you do see anything like that developing in the future, would you put a finger on it and tell us who it is or you want to keep quiet I, I don't have any secret ones I mean I think everybody 
I mean, it's different today. I mean, with the social media and stuff, I mean, everybody around the world hears from these people that have the visions today. I mean, Elon Musk is in my feet every day. Uh, Jeff Bezos is in my feet at least twice a week. Uh, you know, Dylan Taylor, who we just talked about, another one. Uh, and and, and they, the list goes on and on. Um, I haven't... Uh, I have to say I haven't hit upon an author uh, since Tom Clancy uh, that motivated me about fictional futures. Um, you know, Clancy was very, very good with military and, and such. Martin Caden definitely captured me. I mean, swept me away with many of his books um, from Cyborg uh, to Maroon to uh, The God Machine um, uh, to the Indiana Jones books. I mean, he, he definitely incorporated stuff and uh, uh, that, that was on the cusp that was coming. And so, uh, but I... I when I do get into a techno novel, there's something about them. If they're good, they do definitely capture me, and it's uh, it it's, it uh, sparks your imagination. And I I think if you know, I think that's a cool thing. In the case of Martin Caden, I think he sparked the imagination of people then, uh, such as the Russians with the docking. They all of a sudden said, "Oh, we could, we actually could." be the good guys here uh and i'm sure they didn't say quite like that but but at the same time it was that opportunity where they all of a sudden said instead of you know you could um gibson the astronaut that was the commander of the shuttle when they docked the first docking with the russians uh you know he 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 said it's the really the truly significant end of the cold war and um you know, when you look at all the bionic technology today about people running, walking, and, and you know, we have robots, we have humans, and, and we're going to have in-betweens. I mean, it's um, such a visionary and, and definitely captures imagination, but it's because he captured someone's imagination that they went out and did the work to make it happen. Uh, I think it's quite possible, and I, I hope our documentary about Martin Caden um, help the impacts in next generation. And so that's why I definitely need everybody's help uh, getting this funded so we can continue to work and, and get this documentary out. Uh, listeners, we're about to uh, conclude and summarize our program, but if you want to get a call in real quickly, uh, hurry up, 866-687-7223. And if you want to send in an email, same thing. Uh, do it quickly, Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E at thespaceshow.com. Jim, have we um, forgotten something that you wanted to share with us or tell us today? Have we overlooked something or are, is there something else or additional that you would like to say? This would be a, a good time to add it into the into the program. We lost about seven or eight minutes with the yeah, that's table okay. problem, but, uh, I, I, but we're okay. You know, anytime you depend on technology, uh, and I won't say anything more. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I didn't tell this story, but uh, when I, I, as I said, I, when I was like 15, 14, 15 years old, maybe 16 years old, I met Martin Caden. And then, uh, so, like many schools at that time, I was in high school, and um, we had career day. And they said you could bring your father or bring whoever to talk about the career. And so I... Um, I'm probably now 17 years old, 1969 for me, uh, if you guys are all calculating. Anyway, um, uh, so I contacted Martin and said, hey, would you come and speak about being a writer? And he said he'd be glad to. So I want to set this scene, and it'll kind of give you an insight into how Martin Caden really was as a person. So 
um, I'm in my class where he's supposed to be presenting, and he hasn't shown up yet. And and keep in mind, 1969, his movie Marooned is out. He is a, a he's a big deal, especially here on the Space Coast. So they shot a lot of that here. So anyway, so five ten minutes in, all of a sudden the door opens and in walks Martin Caden. Now, um, Martin had a little bit of a gut, and he had a pair of jeans that were probably a size too small on, and his gut was probably pushing over the top of it. I don't remember him having a shirt on at all. He had a, a, a leather vest with all kinds of patches on it. And um and he may have he may have been allowed to smoke then, so if he did he had a cigar with him. And uh the the teacher's very excited because she knows who Martin Caden is. She's never met Martin Caden. And um she immediately makes room for him and he stands in the front of the room and, and so now Martin Caden's gonna talk to you about being a writer. And so this is his speech. It's very small, short. I'll remember it till this day. He said, "He said, uh, well, hello everybody. I'm a, I'm a writer, uh, and I'm a damn good writer." He says, "Because people pay me to write things." And he says, "Are there any questions?" And and uh, the teacher's pretty flabbergasted by this point, but um, a lot of questions came forward, and he spent a lot of time with the students, and it was. It wound up being just a great day. But he had that shock value. Again, as I said, if, if he didn't really care for you or whatever, he could be quite cold and very very direct, I guess would be the word. But if he liked you, he would spend all kinds of time with you. And uh, and and I was fortunate to have that experience, and I hope to share that with other people uh, with this documentary about Martin Caden and the untold stories. Well, we'll look forward to it, and uh, certainly when you get it done, we want to have you back on the show to talk about it. So. Sure. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, Jim, thanks for uh, reaching out and uh, and uh, bringing this program and this information to the space show. And uh, we'll look forward to um, what you say six months, maybe. To yeah, I, I would on. say that would probably be that would be my goal. <laughs> and we'll and we'll see where it goes from there. Okay. Again, if anybody can help, I would appreciate going to my GoFundMe page. Uh, I'm not looking for a lot of funds, so even small donations are good. There's a place in there you can leave comments. So if you you can't fund the documentary, uh, you can definitely show your verbal support, and I would appreciate that. And um, and and if you think you know someone else that uh, could help us, please share the link. And also, if you do go that link and not even just fund it, you can you can learn a lot more about uh, about the documentary about Martin Caden. I've got a couple of videos on there, and um, and it'll it'll help explain and educate you a little bit about what's going on. So, and I appreciate everybody's time listening today. And and David, uh, Doctor Space, I really appreciate the time with you. I, I always enjoy our time together. Thank you very much. And uh, listeners, the link to his GoFundMe page is on the blog for this show, so you will already find it there. And, Jim, uh, until you're back with the completion, we look forward to talking to you again, and thank you for being with us. Sounds good, David. Uh, Listeners, that's it for today. Everybody have a great weekend, and as we like to say, keep looking up. And goodbye from Jim, David, and the Space Show.